here. Hopefully, uh, you have uh, begun reading the book of Job. We're going to try to read the bo- book of Job five times. Um, you can listen to Job if you have it um, on audio uh, in maybe um, like the YouVersion app or different places where you can, can listen to it. That counts as well. All right. But our goal as we work our way through Job is to be able to read through or listen through Job uh, at least five times. <coughs> I'm going to start today. As I said, I'm not going to cover every single chapter. Uh, we will be here for a very long time. But um, this week and next week, I really want to focus just on chapters one and two. So I'm going to read for us chapters one and two. So read along with me. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking from back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. 
And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he looked for him, um, took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not also accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to come again to hear your word, to read your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts as we are uh, beginning our examination of Job and his response to the suffering uh, that was in his life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see beyond Job to see ourselves. Help us to see how we respond to you in the midst of our pain and of our suffering. Help us to see that even our pain and suffering is used to honor and glorify you. And if we remember what we covered in James, it is used to mature us and grow us up and to see you in a a more spiritually mature way. I pray, Lord, that as you uh, help us to work our way through this passage today, Lord, that you would open our hearts and help us to see ourselves so that we can learn the same things that Job learned even in the midst of his suffering. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Every now and then a person's name becomes synonymous with an idea or a concept. This person is usually regarded as the epitome of this particular concept. For example, Abraham Lincoln is the epitome of honesty. Uh, One of his nicknames was Honest Abe. Adolf Hitler and his Nazis are also considered... uh, Um, to be synonymous with evil. We often compare someone to Hitler 
in order to describe the depth of their human depravity. And on the flip side, when someone wants to describe the height of human goodness, they often compare that person to Mother Teresa. And uh, for the rest of us, most of us fall somewhere in between Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. Okay. <laughs> the same can be said about Job. Job's name has become synonymous with both suffering and perseverance. Other than Jesus, Job is seen as the epitome of suffering. People often say that someone who possesses a great capacity for endurance under trials has the patience of Job. Job has gone down in history as both a man of great suffering and yet, as one who suffered by faith. We are all familiar with the story of Job, so today I want to, to talk about um, something that many of us are familiar with, something that many of us um, have heard numerous times, and however, I want to amplify certain things that are in this text that, will, um, that often go unnoticed. Again, I'm going to focus on Job chapter 1 and 2 this week and next week and then <coughs> I will move on to ch chapter 3 and chapter 7. The author of Job begins by giving us some background information on Job. The author is very careful to point out Job's character. It's important for us to uh, remember to keep this in mind, uh, what the author says about Job's character. As a matter of fact, he says it three times in the first two chapters. It's important for us to keep in mind what this author says about the character of Job because it is used uh, to highlight the greatness of his suffering. Sometimes when we see people suffer, uh, we just shrug our shoulders and say, hey, that's what they get, <laughs> right? Um, but Job, the Bible says here that Job was blameless, he was upright, he feared the Lord, and he shunned evil. He was blameless, he was upright, he feared the Lord, and he shunned evil. Now, it's important for us to keep this in mind so that we will remember as Job interacts with his friends and they try to accuse him of sinning and that being the cause of his suffering, we can keep in mind that Job is not suffering because of anything he himself has done. All right, you with me? All right, let's look at these four things. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, and he shuns evil. Job was blameless, and when we say that Job was blameless, this means that Job had personal integrity. In reference to Job's blamelessness, uh, Christopher Ash, in his commentary, quotes a rabbinic expression. He says that Job's within was like his without. Job's within 
was like his without. He goes on to say, it is the opposite of hypocrisy, pretending to be one thing on the outside, but being something else on the inside. Job was a man who was the same way in public as he was in private. Job was not the type of person who who spoke one way in front of other people when they were looking and had a different type of speech or conversation when he was only amongst his close friends. Job was the type of person who, if if he, he said something to you publicly, he was able to defend it privately. Job's public mask, to say it that way, one way, because we all wear a mask. Okay. Job's public mask was the same mask that he wore in private. Job walked in close fellowship with God and delighted in obeying God's law. Job was also upright. And uprightness is defined as <coughs> uh, uh, being closely related to the word for righteousness. And it means a faithful adherence to God's statutes and an honest, compassionate manner in relating to others. Faithfully adhering to what God has said and honestly and compassionately relating to others. Because Job was a blameless and an upright person, because Job had this intimately close relationship with God and was constantly trying to live his life in a way that pleased God, that had an impact on how he treated other people. Those people who did business with Job knew that they were getting an honest deal every single time. And not only was Job honest with those people with whom he had business dealings, the people that he saw struggling and suffering and in pain, they knew that Job would always be there to help them as well. Job feared God. The fear of the Lord is the response of a sinner towards the greatness of God. It is characterized by reverence, awe, and submission. A person who fears God puts God first in every area of their lives. And this was Job's way of life. As we see, when, 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 when Job's servants came and told him that he had lost everything, the first thing Job did was fall on the ground and worship. God was first in his life. His reverence, his awe, his respect, his submission to God took priority over everything even all of his possessions and his family, so that when he lost everything, he fell back on what he knew, and that was worship. Job shunned evil. So simply put, Job said no to evil, no to sin. You know, sin came along, no. <laughs> 
Right. Very simple. That's all it means. He said no to sin. Now, uh, we get this background information. The author goes into talking some more about how wealthy Job was, how t- explaining Job's family had seven sons and three daughters and what their practices are. I'm going to skip that part, go right into uh, the heavenly scene. Okay. So, so now we switch scenes from talking about Job's background, and the author begins to give us information that Job himself does not possess. Job has no idea what is taking place in the heavenly realm as he is suffering through all of the things of life. Now, the author has gone through great lengths to explain that Job was a man of character and a man of faith. He leaves no doubt in our minds that Job suffers as a result of some moral failing. He does not. Now he is turning to God's throne room so that we can get a glimpse of the cause of Job's suffering, not the reason for Job's suffering. Now, if you are coming to uh, read the book of Job or listen to uh, my messages on the reason why Job suffered, um, I will, you know, spoil it for you now. You will never get an answer. <laughs> the book of Job does not give a reason why Job suffered. It gives us the cause of Job's suffering, but it does not give us the reason why Job suffered. Even when God shows up at the end to talk to Job, God does not tell Job why he allowed him to suffer. That is above our pay grade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, he we do get to see the cause of Job's suffering. Now, <laughs> if you are like me, depending on what level of suffering you're on, right? If you're like me, uh, when you suffer. Uh, you have a tendency to think that the world is falling apart. Okay. I have literally seen some people, grown adults, fall on the floor. Ah! You know, just like a kid, when you take them through the, the, the aisle at the, at the store, at the supermarket, and you tell them they can't get the candy, and they're like, ah! They stretch out on you. I've literally seen some, <laughs> some grown adults, right, just collapse. And, I mean, and that's fine if it's something serious, but, but sometimes... You're like, really? You just, you just fell apart because of that? Okay. Uh, but we, we all have a tendency to think that when we are going through something, the world is falling apart. We sometimes subconsciously respond as if God is not in control of the universe. And sometimes the way we describe our circumstances makes it seem as if God and Satan are two equal beings battling it out to see who's going to be victorious. As if somehow Satan could possibly one day get a one-up on God and win. (laughs) This is not the image that is depicted to us in Job chapter 1 and 2. Both of the heavenly scenes in Job chapters 1 and 2 
firmly depicts God as sovereign and in charge and unthreatened by his adversary. The word Satan literally means adversary. God is unthreatened by his adversary. The first thing I want you to see in both of these uh, passages is in, in chapter one, verse one and in chapter two, verse one, is that Satan and all of the angels, they come to present themselves before the Lord. They come and present themselves before the Lord. This means that God is in a ruling position, not as someone who is equal with Satan. Now, I imagine God sitting on the throne, right, conducting his review, right, and, and, and Satan having to come in and explain himself on what he has done. The second thing we see is that Satan questions God questions Satan, and Satan has to give an answer for what he has been doing on earth. Now, in my mind, God is seated. Satan is here answering questions. But we have to realize that a person that is seated is not in a defensive posture. Now, because I grew up in Baltimore City, I reckon I understand this. Okay, okay. I, I, have, I, have, I have seen some things happen, and I just wonder, what were they thinking? Right? I've seen two people arguing, and one person sitting in the chair, and the other person walk up on them, right? And, and they talking, and then the person seated tries to stand up, and what happens? Boop! <laughs> right? Because you're not in a defensive posture when you're seated. God is not threatened by the presence of Satan. God is sitting on his throne, and he's questioning Satan about what he has done. They are not equals. This is not the interaction between two equals, but between a servant and his Lord. Satan is not God's equal. God is firmly in charge here. God is in charge of Satan. God is in charge of the universe. God is in charge of the circumstances of Job's life. And God is in charge of the circumstances of your life. God is sovereign. And he is sovereignly in control of everything that is taking place, even the circumstances of Job's life. God can do what he wants to do when he wants to, to, to do it. And there is no one in the universe that can challenge God or question God. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar said exactly this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his kingdom is an everlasting, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does whatever he wills in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? I think that Psalm 115.3 
puts it most beautifully and most succinctly. It simply says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. God is sovereign. And the author uh, begins by using these two scenes to remove any doubt in our minds that God is not in control of every single thing that is happening to Job and by extension, everything that happens to you and I. Now, <coughs> Satan comes to present himself before God and, jo- and God begins to ask him where he's coming from. Satan answers by saying that he is coming from roaming the earth. And if I could cheat and uh, add in the New Testament, seeking whom he may devour. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just got to cheat sometimes, you know. So uh, he's roaming the earth. He's seeking whom he may devour. Next, God puts forth Job as a candidate for Satan to test. Now, most of us are baffled by this. And all of us are praying that God never does this to us. Okay, You know, Satan, where are you coming from? I've been roaming the earth looking for somebody to test. Have you considered my Pastor Larry? <laughs> And I was like, hey, don't, don't set me up like that. <laughs> You're not going to get the same result as Job. <laughs> but God, he puts Job forward. Satan didn't even ask for someone. He just said, where you come from? I'm in Rome in the earth. Hey, you see this guy over here? Okay. So he, he puts Job forward as a likely candidate for Satan to test. And many of us are wondering, well, why would God do that? Why would God, God set Job up as a candidate for the pain and suffering that comes his way? Now, after thinking about this, <clears throat> I think what's going on here is God and Satan are rehearsing an age-old conversation that they have had since the Garden of Eden. Remember, God created all the things that are on this earth, and then he created Adam and Eve in his image. Next, Genesis chapter 3, Satan tempts Adam and Eve, and they fall. And in Genesis chapter 3, God promises the serpent that there is going to be uh, uh, from generation to generation, there's going to be this ongoing conflict between him and the seed of the woman until one day a seed of the woman will come and crush his head. And so Satan, always up for the challenge, he goes through and, and not only does he take down Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, In Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says that he's lurking at the heart of Cain, and Cain gives in and he kills his brother. Satan wins again. And on and on and on, we see Satan chapter after chapter testing the people of God, testing humanity that God has created, and one after another, they all fall. 
The list could go on and on, and it would appear that Satan was supremely successful in getting human beings to turn their backs on God. However, in each generation, God raises up someone who will call upon his name. So when Cain killed Abel, God gave Eve Seth. Then you had Enoch, and it says, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Then you have Noah and Abraham. So in every generation, even though so many people are turning their backs on God, in every generation, God raises up some who will proclaim his name. So when Satan, again, this word meaning adversary, says that he has been roaming the earth, I think he is trying to throw it in God's face that he is making people turn their backs on God. And I imagine, again, God being the sovereign Lord who, and Isaiah says that he declares the end from the beginning, just sitting on his throne unbothered and with a smile saying, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan is, is, is going through God. I got this one to turn that back on you. I got that one to turn that back on you. This one to turn that back on you. I'm winning. Have you considered my servant Job? See, God knows all things. <laughs> and Satan thinks that he is doing something to, to stick the knife in God and twist it. But God being sovereign, God knows his plan. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. I know you know because you've been roaming the earth. You just said you come from walking to and fro on the earth. There's no one like Job in all the earth. He is blameless. He's upright. He fears the Lord, and he runs from evil. Have you considered my servant Job? This, to me, is the ultimate clapback. It's the, it's the original clapback. I can see God sitting on the throne saying, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> right, in all caps on Twitter, you know. <laughs> he, 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 he asked him, has he considered his servant Job? Because God recognizes the insinuation that Satan is making all men rebel against God. In other words, God is saying to Satan, it may look like you are winning, but I have some that will never turn their back on me. Now, before moving on in this story, <clears throat> I want to pause and address um, a misconception that I think that we often have between God and Satan. In addition to the misconception that we believe that God and Satan are somehow equals, uh, battling it out, sometimes we see uh, a commercial where you have an angel on one side and a, and a, and a demon on the other side, and it's kind of battling like, like, they're, like they're equals. Okay? Um, there's another misconception that we have about, about the relationship between God and Satan. And I think that um, um, we think sometimes that they're equals in power, they aren't, but sometimes we also think that God and Satan are equals in knowledge. 
we tend to view both God and Satan as omniscient, or at least we think that Satan is so good at tempting us because he knows everything about us. But that's not true. God and Satan are not both omniscient. God is the only one who is omniscient. Satan may know a lot about us because he's able to observe us. He sees our habits. He has demons who watch and all these things and report back to him. But he is not omniscient. He, like all the other angels, are finite creatures just like we are. They have to learn just like we learn. They learn by experience, by observation. They learn by seeing and hearing God speak, just like we do. So not only <coughs> do Satan and the other angels learn about us through observation and experience, Satan and the other angels also have to learn about God through observation and personal experience. See, we think that that angels have some form of a special ability to know God. They don't. They're finite just like us. They learn about God by interacting with him and his word just like we do. Okay. Now, why is that important? <coughs> it's important because fundamentally, angelic beings don't understand salvation. They don't understand salvation. And they probably wonder why God bothers with trying to win over people who clearly hate him. Right? Okay. Now, what I want you to do is to look with me at two New Testament passages of Scripture. Again, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> okay. Turn with me to the New Testament. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to, to see angels do not understand salvation. They are learning about salvation by watching God interact with us. Okay. First Peter chapter one. Is everyone there? If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say wait. <laughs> All right, verse 1. Now, this passage is actually about how um, um, an encouragement for Christians who are suffering. Okay. So it, it lines up very well with uh, our example of Job. Verse 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. Okay. Okay. You have been saved. He has begotten you. He has given birth to you. And you now have an inheritance. This inheritance is incorruptible. It's not defiled. It cannot fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, he, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. You are suffering, but you need to have hope that the suffering and the trials that you are going through, they are not able to disconnect you from the inheritance that God has reserved for you in heaven. He goes on to say that the prophets of old, they were prophesying about these things, but the Spirit of Christ in them let them know that these things were not for them, but they were reserved for you. This salvation that even angels desire to look into. They don't understand it. What is this salvation thing? What, what, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't get it. Why, why, why are you dying for these people and they just keep thumbing their nose at you? We don't get it. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, <coughs> angels, angelic beings, and of course Satan and demons are also angelic beings. They don't get this salvation. They don't understand what God is, is doing. And so they have to learn about him the same way we learn about him. Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by Christ to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the, un bless you, the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in Christ, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to who? The principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, real quick, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts off talking about how we are saved by grace. You were dead in trespasses and sins. He has made you alive. Verse 8, 9, and 10 for by grace you have been saved through faith, not, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest you sh anyone should boast, because you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, so that you should walk in him. Now, for most of us, we think that's where Ephesians chapter 2 ends, <laughs> okay? okay? Um, however, it does not. It goes on to talk about how Christ in himself, he has broke down this racial wall between Jews and Gentiles and how in Christ there should be racial reconciliation in Christ, meaning in the church. That those who are Jews and Gentiles, those who are different racially, they are, are it has been a mystery to us. It's a mystery, but it was the plan of God from all eternity to bring people from different nationalities into one body in Christ so that there will be no more enmity between us and God and between races. And he says, if you've heard of my understanding of the mystery of Christ, you will recognize this is my preaching of the gospel, that God saves Jews and Gentiles equally and brings them into the same body. Okay. Now, why did God do this? God did this with the intention that the principalities and powers in heavenly places will recognize the manifold wisdom of God. Why is God sending his son to die for people who rebel against him? He wants people who, according to Ephesians chapter 1, are able to praise him for his glorious grace, says it three times in Ephesians chapter 1. That when they are redeemed by the blood of his son, they will praise him for his glorious grace. And while everyone is running around scratching their head trying to stop uh, uh, stop racism and white supremacy and, and neo-Nazis, um, um, neo when they run around scratching their head, well, how do we stop them? Well, Jesus died for that already. You don't have to worry about stopping it. Come to Christ. And, and when God's plan is completely worked out on the last day, God is going to have people <laughs> praising him for his glorious grace. And guess what the angels are going to be doing? Praising him for his glorious wisdom. That was a good plan. <laughs> right? 
Cause I, I was kind of worried there for a minute, God. We, we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know what you were doing or how that was gonna work out. But, but that was a good plan. God is doing everything that He is doing so that He can teach us and angels who he is so that we can all praise him for his grace and his wisdom. Now, bringing this idea back into, I got time, bringing this idea back into Job chapter 1, okay, you can look back to Job chapter 1. God asked Satan, from where are you coming? Job, I mean, Satan says, I've been, I've been roaming the earth. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Now, notice what, Job, what, what Satan says, right? Satan's answer lets us know he is well aware of who Job is. He already knows Job. Satan's knowledge of Job is not deficient. He knows that God has set a hedge of protection around Job and that he has put a hedge of protection around Job's household and around everything that Job possesses. Satan knows that God has blessed every single thing he put his hand to. And he also knows that Satan's possess, pos, I mean, Job's possessions are just accumulating. He just, every time he turns around, there's blessings on blessings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Satan had sufficient knowledge of Job. Satan had deficient knowledge of God. See, he says, he, he, he shows that he knows about Job, but then when he turns to God, he says, you can look down. <coughs> this is in actually in both chapters, but look at verses 9 and 10. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Does he fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household, all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan's knowledge of God is proven to be deficient since he questions God's justice. He is questioning God's justice. He is attacking God's policy of protecting and blessing Job and states that the only reason that Job serves God is because he's being blessed. Well, God, what else do you expect Job to do? You keep blessing him. You put protections around him. You bless his family. You give him all of these things. His possessions are are growing. He's getting richer and richer and richer. What else would you expect Job to do but serve you? 
he's questioning God's justice. He's attacking God's policy of, of protecting and blessing Job. And he is accusing God of a pay-to-play scheme. That the only reason that Job is playing this game with you is because you keep bribing him, God. But if, if, if you, you cut off the money, you stop bro- bribing Job, he will curse you to your face just like everyone else. He attacks God's policy of protecting and blessing Job and states that this is the only reason Job is faithful to God. This is ultimately an attack on God's nature because God's justice and his policies are a reflection of his perfect nature. God is perfect, so his justice is perfect, and his wisdom is perfect. So when he's questioning the rightness of God's policy, he is also questioning the perfection of God's nature and the depth of God's wisdom. And there's three things here that I think Satan believes. Number one, I believe that he thinks that there was a flaw in God's justice. Again, he's attacking God's nature. God, are you really just? Is it really the, the right thing to do to keep blessing people and thinking that, you know, they're going to turn their back on you? Number two, he believed that he knew better than God what Job would do. He attacks God's wisdom. And number three, he believed that there is no such thing as... Um, uh, disinterested righteousness is the term that is used um, by Walton. Um, that is serving God for nothing. There's no such thing as ser- serving God for nothing. The only reason we serve God is because he continues to, continues to bless you. Now, I'm not going to look at that th- this week. And ask you the question, why do you serve God? But, but this is the thinking, this is the, the thinking that is underlying Satan's, his conversation with God. God, you're just bribing people. The people that, that don't turn away from you, that they're, you're, only, you're bribing them. No one loves you just because of who you are, Jesus. I'm a couple thousand years early. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one loves you just because of who you are. I, I, if they aren't getting benefits from you, they turn to be, they'll be on my side. This thinking is not only in the mind of Satan. This is the thinking of Job. This is the thinking of Job's three friends, and it is also the thinking of Elihu. Literally, this whole idea is running through every single chapter of the book. Literally, chapter 1, verse 9, is the theme for the whole book. Does Job serve God for nothing? And every single chapter is trying to work out that question. Is Job only serving God because of the blessings he has? Or does he serve God because he loves God? That's the question all of us are going to answer next week. <laughs> I want to stop here because um, it would take me too long to uh, finish up. 
this uh moving um the the rest of the the rest of these two chapters but what i want us to see in in this passage um it, it we have to keep all of the principles that i have discussed with you I mean, we talked about so god's sovereignty um, we talked about um justification um because here right this is what we're talking about justification what is justification God making a declaration about us. God declares us righteous. Okay. And my second definition that I gave you for justification is we have to prove with our lives or demonstrate with our lives that what God says is true. Okay. So here, God makes a declaration about Job. There is no one like Job in all the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears the Lord. And he says no to evil. <laughs> and God, Satan says, man, get out of here. <laughs> that ain't true. I guarantee you, let me do my work. He'll curse you to your face. And so the rest of the book is about the second definition of justification. What is Job going to do? It, it, is Job going to act in such a way that so that he can get these blessings back? Or is he going to maintain his integrity? And along the way, Job runs into to some roadblocks. Okay, we'll, we'll see this ne next week. You got to be careful who you marry. <laughs> because Job is going through all of this and Miss Job is going through it too. She lost her children. She lost everything. When I married you, we had all of this stuff. Now we're struggling. <laughs> okay. And then she's probably thinking, now how can I get out of this? <laughs> now, Job, do you? <laughs> why, why are you maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. So, so Geico can send me this check. Okay. <laughs> Got some life insurance, Job. Come on, Job. <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that Satan says to God that if you do these things, Job will curse you to your face? And then Job's wife shows up and says, Job, why don't you curse God and die? His wife was being used by the devil. Job has three friends that show up after the wife doesn't work out. <laughs> and chapter 4, Eliphaz starts off by saying, at last night I had a dream and a, and a spirit came and told me to tell you these things, Job. God already prepped me. You did something wrong. I don't think it was God. I think that was the enemy. The, the, Satan is not mentioned anywhere else in the rest of the book, but several times we see spirits showing up to tell people things or, or give them dreams at, at night. And, and every single time they come back and attack Job. Job, you sinned. Job, you did something wrong. You need to admit that you sinned. And if Job just admits that he sinned just to get God's blessings, Satan is right. He's only serving you to get those blessings back. Kind of like when we say, 
I know I'm going through something, but I ain't worried because God got something better for me. You believe what the devil believes. You're only serving God for something. Because God is looking for people that if he does not have something better for you, you will not turn your back on him. If you keep, if the only reason that you keep pressing, you keep going with the Lord is because I know God has something better. You're not looking for God. You're looking for his stuff. You are serving God for something. So we will pick back up with this idea that Satan has this, what we call, retribution principle and we will continue explaining this and then we'll ask ourselves the question why do we serve God what am I what am I serving God for what what am I as the pastor of this church what is Larry as a Christian why am I serving God and if God sicked Satan on me (laughs) now I wouldn't curse God to his face but you know I might be like, Lord, look, (laughs) are are you going to turn your back on him if he doesn't answer or give you what you think you deserve? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come again into your presence, to read your word, to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we are walking through the story of Job, that we would not let it be about some random guy several thousand years ago who suffered. But I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in this story because every single one of us have suffered to some degree in our lives. And if we continue on living, we will all suffer again. And each one of us has a a, a go-to response when we suffer. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working in us by your spirit, that our go-to response when we suffer is to fall down and worship. Because when we fall down and worship, we are looking at you, and our, our situation will look even smaller if we are looking at a great God. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working on us. We don't want it ever to be true of us even though it is often true of each one of us that that we are often serving you for something that we are getting out of it but lord we want to to prove the devil wrong that we do not ultimately serve you because of your blessings and your protection we want it to be said of us if we are ever put in a situation and that we are serving you only because of our love for you. And that even if you don't bless us ever again, you are more than enough to sustain us. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working on us to see you the same way that Job saw you, at least in the beginning of his trials. So that as we look and behold your face and how glorious and how great you are, that that will be enough for us if we receive nothing else on this earth 
knowing that we have a great inheritance reserved for us in heaven, and that inheritance is you. We thank you now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Does Job serve God for nothing? Why do we serve God? When, when you read the Bible, why do you, anybody read the book of Leviticus? Because I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to do a study in, in, um, in like Leviticus 19 and, and it's a, who, who, people, I don't know what's in Leviticus. I don't understand Leviticus. We understand like chapter 42 of Job when Job gets twice as much as <laughs> blessings as he had before. Why we ain't reading Leviticus? Why we ain't reading Deuteronomy? We got Ephesians down though. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we got we got all of those prosperity verses. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Right? We got we got Deuteronomy 28 down. <laughs> what about Deuteronomy 1 through 27? The whole way we go about doing Christianity has nothing to do with God. That's the problem. And that's why the world is like, I'd rather be a Muslim. Why? Well, where's all, where are all the black men? Why are they all in Islam? Because Islam gives them something they can commit to. And we're so wishy-washy in the church. Like, I'm not going to commit my life to something if you're not willing to commit your life to it. Why do we serve God? All right, y'all got to go watch the Ravens play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Job is about every single one of us right it's it's about what true religion is all about why am i why am i serving god that's what every single chapter of the book of job is is, is trying to get at job why do you serve god do you serve god because you want these benefits back or do you serve god just because you love him whether or not he ever blesses you. Now, it's great that God gave Job these blessings at the end, okay? Um, he didn't have to do that, right? Um, and, and for most of us, we're not going get to get these blessings in our lifetime, okay? But guess what? You got a mansion waiting for you in heaven. <laughs> I'm in with this example, and then, I, um, and then we'll pray. Um, there was an event that was taking place. <laughs> There was an event that was taking place at um, at uh, a church I used to attend, and and um, they had people that were serving and, and doing stuff uh, for this particular event. And uh, the pastor at this particular church came in to thank everyone for everybody uh, for serving and things like that. And he said, um, uh, "I wish I had money to pay you, but I'm gonna pray that God puts it on your heavenly account." Yeah. And I never forget there was this one particular person. She all she was she was the most hilarious person. She was like, I ain't worried about my heavenly account. I want it right now. <laughs> right now, of course, both of them were joking, right? But isn't that oftentimes our mindset? 
God has so much stuff waiting for us on our heavenly account. We aren't concerned about that because we want this right now. And we are so distracted by the things that we want right now, we're missing the point. The point is the treasure is not the stuff. Listen, salvation is not our greatest treasure. Salvation is only a means to an end. The end is seeing God's face. I mean, that's the whole point. He says, they will see my face. That's, that's all salvation is about, that we get to see God. Look, everybody, like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I want to see my grandmother who passed away, and my mother is there. And listen, I, all, I love all my, I, my three grandparents that are there, my uncles that are there, all my, my family be there. Like, if, if they run up to me to greet me when I walk through the gate, y'all got to wait a minute. Ho, ho, ho. I'm not here for y'all. <laughs> Right, I got a long time to talk to y'all. I'm not here for y'all. I want to see his face. After I see his face, you know, oh, man, I missed y'all. <laughs> right? But, but, but I, I got to see him first. That's what salvation is about. If, you, if, if your salvation is based on, I don't want to go to hell, you have missed the whole point. Because not going to hell is not what God saved us for. God saved us so that we, they will see my face. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's all, that's all this life is about. And if he gives us nothing, if he, if God forbid, he turns the whole events of the world around so that we move back to the first century where they're taking Christians and feeding them to the lion, dipping them in wax and, 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 and putting them up on the wall and setting them on fire as candles. If they start doing all of that again, our job is to endure that. Now, I don't think we're going to endure it the same way they did in the first century, you know, because they're going to have to come past a couple of my friends first. Y'all know who my friends are, but, <laughs> but, you know, once I run out of my friends, then we're going to talk about, you know, <laughs> right. But will you, if they say, look, we want to feed you to the lions. If you don't turn away from your faith in God, You're like, look, all the blessings are up. Ain't no more prosperity. Ain't no more BMW. Where Creflo at? <laughs> oh, they got him too. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> You gonna, you, you gonna, you gonna turn away from God, or are you going to stand firm? That's the the the, the issue. The blessing is not material stuff. The blessing is seeing God. And so that's why the, the question is throughout the book that that Satan is asking of God. And that we have to answer for ourselves is why do we serve God? Are we serving him for his benefits or are we serving him because we see him 
as the all-important purpose of life. It says, um, what psalm is this? I hate when stuff comes to my mind and then I don't know, research it, look it up to find what a verse is. I have all these scriptures running around my head. Your loving kindness is better than life. His love is better than life. If, if, I, if I have to give up my life or give up the love of God, I should gladly give up my life instead of giving up God's love. That's where all of us have to be. And the truth is, none of us are there. I'm not there. <laughs> I, know I, I know I'm not there. Sometimes, God, look, you know, I need, I, need, I need you to answer this prayer like this, you know. And then when he don't, I'm like, I ain't even reading the Bible today. <laughs> I'm on protest. And then Saturday coming like, oh, shoot, I got to get my sermon together. <laughs> but look, uh, you know, as we are, remember the, the whole point of this, and I'm going to stop. The whole point of us going through the book of Job is to apply the stuff that we have read in the book of James, right? It's, it's, it's looking at practical application on the principles we learned in James. So when he talks about enduring tests, enduring trials, how you treat people, even if God doesn't answer you, how are you going to respond, right? Endurance. Well, this, we, we're watching it play out in Job's life. We can cry. We can complain. We can murmur. God, why are you doing this to me? All of that is within the bounds. Just don't walk away. Okay? Just, just don't walk away. Wrestle with God in your pain, but don't turn your back on him. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to come again and to spend time reading your word, discussing these things. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we um, apply these things. Because the truth be told, all of us struggle with the things that is, uh, we'll be seeing in the book of Job. All of us struggle. At points in time in each one of our lives, Lord, we are only serving you for the benefits that we receive. We don't openly say that. We don't always recognize that's what we're doing. But, but Lord, we are a flesh. We need things. And so oftentimes we come to you just for what we need. And we don't take the time to spend with you just because of who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working in our hearts and in our minds. Help us as we look at the life of Job. Help us to see ourselves in the story. Help us to consistently ask ourselves in, in each day and in each circumstance, why am I serving God? It, am I serving God just for him to answer my prayer? Or am I serving him even if he says no? Just because of who he is. I pray, Lord that you would help us to see you as our all-glorious treasure. You are the goal of all of our lives. You are the goal of eternity. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to start living our lives totally focused on you now because that's what life will be like in eternity. Lord, I pray that you would 
Uh, keep working with us. Help us to know that we all will, will fall and we all will fail. And sometimes we will wrestle with you and sometimes we'll complain. Sometimes we'll cry. Sometimes we'll step over the line and we'll accuse you of things that's not in your character. And yet you will never throw us away. What you long to do is the same thing you did with Job. You want to reveal yourself so that we can see you for who you are and even in our pain, have a more intimate relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that that becomes the desire of each one of our hearts. We thank you now, Lord, for all these things, asking that you would give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding as we read through Job and as we look through Job um, on our own and in church. Um, open our eyes so that we cannot just see Job's relationship with you, but that we can see our relationship with you more clearly. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.